There's some things that can happen with anger that are sort of unexpected that we wouldn't recognize as, as necessarily being related to anger that can be very important. Even if you feel like just because you're not saying something or because you did say something that, that that's enough, you really need to learn what your body is saying to other people. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Daily Helping. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. John Paul Garrison. Dr. Garrison is a licensed psychologist and published author. Dr. Garrison is also an expert in body language and detecting deception. He received specialized training from the Paul Ekman Group and achieved expert level status in micro expressions, subtle face expression, and law enforcement. Dr. Garrison offers training to police departments in the ARC analysis system, a methodology he developed to teach law enforcement to identify and react to nonverbal behaviors they observe in potential suspects. And he has also adapted the ARC analysis system for business leaders to increase their interpersonal intuition. Dr. Garrison received advanced training in counterterrorism by current and former members of the U.S. intelligence community, and he earned a mid-level graduate certification in this area. He is also a panelist for Reddit as a psychology expert. Some of Dr. Garrison's interests include criminology, corporate psychology, and forensic psychology. Dr. Garrison has also extensively studied the language and culture of South Korea for over a decade. Dr. Garrison, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to be here, Dr. Richard. Absolutely happy to have you here. I wanted to ask you if you could explain some of the differences between verbal behavior and nonverbal behavior, because it may seem obvious to a lot of people, but I think there are some, some differences that most people wouldn't really necessarily expect. Well, verbal behavior has a lot more to do with how you say something. In other words, the tone and pitch that you use, the content of what's coming out when you're speaking with somebody else. Nonverbal behavior, on the other hand, has a lot more to do with body language, gestures, eye contact, things like that. So, for example, if you see somebody crossing their legs or touching their cheek, maybe scratching the back of their neck, all of those different nonverbal behaviors have specific things that they typically mean. So you said something really interesting regarding scratching the back of your neck. And most people would probably think that doesn't mean anything. I mean, obviously, if you're staring at somebody in the face, that means something with an angry expression. But <laughs> tell me more about these nonverbal behaviors that most people might not think about but that actually do have meaning behind them. Absolutely. Half of the fun of learning about nonverbal behaviors is finding out that certain behaviors mean things that you would have never expected. Or if you did expect it, you didn't know that there was actually research behind 
what your suspicions were. Let me go through a couple of examples with you. For example, if you're having a conversation with somebody and you look down and you notice their foot shift, if you pay attention to where their foot is shifting to, if it's pointing towards the door, that means they want to get out of that situation. That means they want to leave. Maybe they're too polite to tell you that. Maybe there could be any number of reasons why they're not saying it. But if you see the, the, the foot point towards the door, that implies they're, they're ready for action. They want to get out. Another one would be when you see women flipping their hair up, like flipping the back of their hair. A lot of people just think of that as maybe somebody doing some sort of grooming exercise or somebody trying to straighten their hair out. But really, when people start to feel nervous, when they start to feel discomfort, they do what's called ventilating, which is sort of letting heat off. Men have an equivalent where they tend to, if they're wearing a hat, they lift the hat up. You, you may or may not be able to recall actually seeing people do this, but that's a, a common behavior. And typically what that means is that somebody's feeling nervous or uncomfortable. Finger pointing is another one that's pretty interesting because I think most of us know that if our mother, when we were younger, pointed her finger at us or if we were pointed at by a teacher or something, that typically implies that we're in trouble or we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. And what's important about that, because that basically is what it means, The what's important to know is that our brain interprets being pointed at very negatively. So knowing not to do that in polite conversation, when you're sitting around with a group of people, when you're referring to somebody... Uh, pointing at them with an open hand is much more effective and will be received much more positively than pointing at them with uh, your first finger. So knowing that can help you uh, keep situations better in your control. You can uh, better understand what it is that triggers people and what might bother people. Before I go into too many specific examples, I want to talk a little bit about the science behind it. Because in order to understand this, once you understand the science, it's not really that hard to read nonverbal behavior and to read body language. So part of it is understanding that emotions are handled by part of the brain called the limbic system. The limbic system is pretty much the emotional center of the brain. So not only does it handle emotions that we are used to experiencing, but it also results in us having involuntary reactions. So, uh, for example, when you sweat when you're nervous or when you're disgusted, you scrunch your face. When you're in a threatening situation, you run away. All of those involuntary, spontaneous behaviors are handled by the emotional system in the brain. Now, why that's important is that in order for you to be able to understand nonverbal behaviors, you've got to be able to accept that nonverbal behaviors come from emotions, that the things that you see other people doing, that it all is based on how people are feeling at that time. Now, let's go through an actual example. Let's let's see what you think about this. So, people typically swing their arms when they walk. Would you agree with that? Yes. All right. So, how you feel affects how you behave. Now, if you were to see somebody exaggeratedly swinging their arms while they walked versus somebody who wasn't moving their arms at all, which one of those two do you think would intuitively feel more suspicious? The person who's not swinging their arms. Absolutely. The person swinging their arms is less likely to try to hide because they're doing a body movement that's going to make them a lot more visible. 
the person who's not moving their arms is trying to hide. They're trying to make themselves smaller. They're trying to be less likely to be seen. And why this matters is that, for example, safety. If you were out at night and somebody walked by you and they were swinging their arms normally, that doesn't guarantee that they're not intending any harm for you. But if you see somebody who's walking by or walking up on you who's trying not to be seen, that can be something that can prompt you to say, this could be a legitimate safety concern. The benefit of being able to read and understand nonverbal behaviors is that you can recognize the body is always talking. The body is always communicating. That's the real benefit of understanding nonverbal behavior and understanding body language is that you are able to translate what you see every single day. That's really interesting. And I have a question. You mentioned that this is driven by the limbic system. In terms of how verbal and nonverbal behaviors show up in the limbic system, are there actually different centers of the limbic system where those areas come into play? That's a very interesting question. And the best way that I can answer that is to explain that nonverbal behaviors are heavily limbic. They are heavily emotional. There's part of the limbic system called the amygdala, and it handles strong emotions like anxiety. And it plays itself out very dramatically at times non-verbally. When people are feeling anxious, they're constantly having to calm themselves down, constantly doing things to pacify themselves, whether that's touching their lips or crossing their arms or any large variety of behaviors that people tend to do associated with anxiety. The purpose of that is to calm this system down, is to to satisfy the, the part of the brain that's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not comfortable here. Can you do something to, to help me chill out, to help me calm down a little bit? The parts of the brain that handle the verbal communication, it's developed differently because we think that that is how we should communicate. It's much easier to deceive and to lie using our verbal communication skills because that's how we think of communicating. We don't inherently think somebody who has their arms wide open literally is going to be more open uh, emotionally and be more honest and things like that. That may not be intuitive for us, but we know that what we say should be taken at face value. We know that when we want to lie, we're going to do so with, with, with words. And why that's important is there's a, a concept called the leakage hypothesis. And basically what that means is that when we try to hide how we're thinking and feeling, it's going to leak out. And it's especially going to leak out in our nonverbal behaviors. So unless you really know very, very well what you're doing all the time and what your body does when you feel a certain way, those emotions are going to leak out. This is particularly true of strong emotions. It's really, really interesting. How did you get into this? How did you decide to specialize in this? My interest in nonverbal behavior and body language really started when I was training as a psychologist. I was doing a lot of psychological evaluations as an assistant. And at that time, I would be sitting in a room with people that were trying to lie to me all the time, every day. That's pretty much not, not every single person I saw, but a substantial number of them were trying uh, to convince me of something that wasn't true. They were trying to make themselves seem better than they were or trying to make me think that everything was totally fine with them. I was doing a lot of forensic work, so doing situations that were related to court, evaluating criminals. There were a wide variety of things that I did throughout my training. And 
Also, during your psychological training, as I'm sure you know, Dr. Richard, you learn a lot about nonverbal language. That's a big part of what we do as psychologists is learn to read other people. And I really thought, you know what? I want to be able to read people completely regardless of what they say to me because people are lying to me a lot. And I want to know what what can I do to to see beyond that. And I started reading a lot of books on the subject. Uh, Dr. Paul Ekman, his his materials are fantastic. He's one of the world's leading body language experts. There's a former FBI agent named Joe Navarro who came up with some amazing theories about it, has done some fantastic research himself. A lot of the work that I've since done has really been rooted in Dr. Ekman and uh, former special agent Joe Navarro's work. A, a, a lot of the stuff they've done has really been groundbreaking. But Basically, what I did is I went through, started getting all the information I could, combining it together, seeing what pieces I thought were missing from one to another. And then I started getting interested in counterterrorism. Then I went and did some graduate work with that, thought that would be an interesting way to to use these skills. And it's really just snowballed from there. It, it's developed into something that, you know, I, I had never anticipated. And I would say that, like most people, I would imagine that have a specialization or have something that they stumble upon that they've realized they're really good at or something that really interests them. You never know that this is coming. You never know to expect, you know, one day I'm going to be a body language expert or one day I'm going to be an expert in detecting deception. It's something that, that once it grabs a hold of you, you realize this is some pretty cool stuff. Using all the information that I've learned, I've combined it into a system to teach other people how to read body language in a very simple and straightforward way. And that's your ARC analysis system. So so tell us about that. The ARC analysis system was really created as a comprehensive system to teach people to read body language. Originally, it was created for law enforcement to help them recognize deceit, increase their own safety, and enhance their overall observational skills because it teaches them to look at aspects of ways that people behave that they might not otherwise do. Now, what the ARC means in ARC analysis is uh, A stands for action. So, in other words, the behavior you observe. R stands for reason. In other words, the reason somebody engages in a behavior, whether that be the psychological reason, an evolutionary reason, a biological reason. What is the reason they're doing that? And the C is concern. So, in other words, what concern should you have based on the actions that you're observing, based on what they mean? So... Really, it's, it was a, a way to be able to look at people and sort of mentally code, okay, here's exactly what I'm seeing. That's a suspicious behavior. Maybe I need to look more at that. There was so much interest in it, I since adapted it for business leaders. Uh, I realized that not only is it good for uh, developing observational skills, but it really can help people change their own behaviors in a lot of ways because you become more attuned to the way that your body language is affecting other people. In other words, increasing your emotional intelligence. Could you speak a little bit more to that? Emotional intelligence is really a, a buzzword these days, and a lot of people are starting to learn about it. Could you tell us what that means and how your system helps with that? Emotional intelligence really is comprised of two components. One is one's capacity to self-reflect one's awareness of their own emotions, as well as the awareness of the emotions of others. So the way that this can help with that, and it really can, is that you can start to see the impact that you have on other people. As I 
said before, what you look for is behavioral changes, okay? So when you notice behaviors change, especially if it's ones that indicate defensiveness or nervousness or discomfort, when you observe that in other people, you can go, okay, what was I saying? What was I doing? How was I acting that impacted that person, that resulted in them feeling a certain way? And by understanding that, you can not only have a better sense of how other people feel, but you can look inward and go, okay, is there something I need to do differently? Are there behaviors that maybe I'm doing that are intimidating or or any number of things that are resulting in, in discomfort on, on uh, people that are around me? So in a lot of ways, you can drastically up your emotional intelligence by learning how to read body language. It's, it's all a matter of desire. You know, if you want to have a positive impact on people, you know, this is a, a, a great way to, to do it in a way that you probably haven't thought of before. And I'm curious about something as you're talking about the ARC system, the ARC analysis system, being able to detect, being able to identify within yourself as well as others these emotions. Now, the limbic system is a very old biological system. Yeah, that's about as old a biological system as the brain has. That's right. So my question then to you is, with these reactions being relatively hardwired, so to speak, if one becomes aware of them, their nonverbal behavior, can, can they change them? You could absolutely modify and change your nonverbal behaviors. I certainly wouldn't be pursuing this if I didn't think that that was possible. You know, originally, like I said before, it started out as something that was about observation. But really, the way that I've adapted the system to work with business leaders, it is about making changes to oneself. So, for example, if you stand with your legs far apart, uh, maybe shoulder width apart, and you have your hands on your hips, that's a powerful stance, all right? So that's a stance that may intimidate other people. It may cause other people to feel uncomfortable. And so it's possible that somebody stands that way with that intention. They want other people to feel intimidated. But if you recognize yourself standing that way and realize that's having an effect on people that I don't want or didn't expect... That's a behavior that you can then modify. You say, I know that when I stand with my legs apart, biologically, that is because it helps me survive. It makes my feet planted harder on the ground. It makes it so I'm less likely to be knocked over. I mean, that's why we do it. And then you go, okay, I don't need to do that. I can allow myself to be more, more vulnerable. I can take a body posture that is more comfortable or that other people may be more comfortable with. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. Very interesting. And in terms of then modifying these behaviors, 
So it is possible to coach somebody, and if they exhibited a certain type of nonverbal behavior, they can be trained to suppress that. Absolutely. The whole idea is that awareness is a key component of changing yourself fundamentally or changing really anything about yourself, whether that's going to therapy and developing an awareness that you are depressed, anxious, with the, what kind of thoughts you're having, things like that. You know, that that's that's key when it comes to working on your mental health. Just it's, it's really not that different with body language, frankly. Once you are aware of what you are doing, once you're aware of what impact that has on other people, and then you can modify it. And once you get used to modifying it, once you get the reinforcement of seeing the positive effects of it, that continues to change your behavior. So absolutely, once you become aware, then you can modify. In terms of what you're doing in the business setting, how does that differ from what you're doing with the police setting? What, what things do you do differently? Well, in the context of law enforcement, the big focus was on observing other people. What is somebody doing that's suspicious? Are they trying to be deceptive? Are there things they're doing that I'm not seeing that could be harmful to me in some way? And in the business setting, you know, we're really looking at how to engage people differently, how to increase your empathy, how to have a positive impact on other people. Because really... Uh, the the corporate world is very different than it used to be. They really value, maybe not all corporations, but they're starting to value those qualities in their leaders a lot more and in management and things like that and people like that. So being able to learn your impact on other people, learning how your positive body language can help open up their body language and ultimately how that's going to change their feelings, that's really what the focus for business leaders is about. So this is something you would use for team building, for example? Without a doubt. This lends itself to team building quite nicely, actually, because in a lot of ways, in something like team building, it's a matter of bringing each other closer. And if you can actually learn to understand each other and learn to understand what each other are saying, even when you're not talking, that's a huge part of building a team. That's a massive part of really, truly being able to understand other people. And so for the person listening at home saying to themselves or in their car, I'm not involved in counterterrorism or law enforcement, and right. I, I'm not in a Fortune 500 company, how, how would the things you're talking about in, involving nonverbal behavior apply to them? I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I can definitely understand why somebody hearing this might go, well, I'm not in business, I'm not in law enforcement, why would I care? But the reality is... Learning nonverbal behavior, learning body language can deepen your empathy. It can help you navigate conflict in a more constructive way. Part of the work that I do as a therapist is I work with with couples, uh, marriage counseling. Sometimes it's just people dating, whatever. But it's uh, couples work, and they have some of the most exaggerated and some of the most conflicted body language. And, you know, that, that's part of the reason I'm actually adapting this for couples as we speak because I'm realizing – really focusing on what each other are saying that we're not seeing is is going to be uh, of, of, of great importance, I think, when it comes to doing couples work and couples learning to work better with each other rather than just the obvious things that people know, like crossing your arms and things like that. So really what everybody can get from this is learning how to deepen their empathy for other people. That's really what this is about.
That sounds really helpful. And you mentioned specifically you know, being able to help people diffuse conflict that you know, if people are being defensive, I think most people, if you ask them what's a nonverbal behavior with defensiveness, they would say arms crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Arms crossed is probably the most common way that we show defensiveness. But interestingly, on the flip side of that, we also don't want to read too much into arms being crossed. When somebody crosses their arms, some people do it for comfort. Some people just like standing there with their arms crossed because it feels better that way. Uh, but at the same time, if you're talking and you see the change in behavior, if you see somebody change to crossing their arms, then that can imply that they're starting to feel a bit defensive or they're starting to feel uncomfortable. You know, they're literally blocking their body from you. I mean, that's the whole idea. So the what's important about the, something like crossing arms is that context is key. If somebody's standing there with their arms crossed the whole time, then don't read too much into it. Another example of something that's defensive, for, for example, um, you know, I talked about standing with your legs spread far apart. You know, when you're standing up and, and your legs are spread, that is a way of being defensive and dominant. Um, if somebody's sitting and they have their their ankles locked behind their, their feet, sometimes that can suggest defensiveness. Sometimes it can suggest secretiveness. If some, if you ask somebody a question and there, and it's a sort of a, a, and they say, "I don't know," there's two two types of responses that you can have. One is the honest response. One is the indifferent, defensive response. Okay, the honest response is when somebody says, "I don't know," they lift up their shoulders, their arms are open, and they do a two shoulder shrug. That's a, an open, honest way of saying, "I don't know." Now, if somebody does a one shoulder shrug. They're halfway closed off. It's not as committed as the two-shoulder shrug. It's not as open. And that's a lot more likely to be a defensive way to say, I don't know. So as you were telling me this, Dr. Garrison, I was thinking about a Kevin Spacey movie, The Negotiator, from I believe it was back in 1998. And he had a line where he, I think he said it to Samuel L. Jackson, where you know, he could look in his eyes and tell by the direction his eyes were pointing whether or not he was being honest or not. So uh, how accurate was that? Was that just Hollywood silliness or is there some science behind that? I'm sure that some people would disagree with me on this. I feel fairly confident that some people believe in that. I do not believe in that science. I do not believe that, depending on where you look, has anything to do with whether or not you're being honest. I mean, we know from research that people averting their gaze actually is a terrible metric for measuring whether or not somebody's being defensive or being deceitful. So I would put that in the category of Hollywood nonsense. That's what I expected you to say, to, to be sure. <laughs> so you've mentioned a couple of you know, emotions. You, you've mentioned, or, or rather behaviors, defensiveness. Um, you talked about that and you talked about you know, nervousness and sweaty palms and such. What are some other emotions that exhibit non-verbally? Anger is certainly one that I think that at times can go unnoticed in certain ways because there's the obvious furrowed brow or the eyebrows come together. That's obviously a look of anger, but there's certain things that 
are not necessarily intuitive. For example, something that is a safety concern for people in law enforcement is if somebody starts flaring their nostrils. Okay, so that seems awfully subtle, and it is. You got to look really closely to see this. But if somebody starts flaring their nostrils, that means they're oxygenating their body. And if you're oxygenating your body, you're getting ready for action. All right, so there are things like that that you have to look for. Now, if you're in a business setting or if you're in a, a, a situation like a, a couple or whatever and you see somebody flaring their nostrils, that doesn't necessarily mean they're getting ready for real action, but they could be thinking about something intense that does suggest some level of emotional intensity and it does imply anger. So that is is one sort of subtle example of of anger. Discomfort is one that is very common, um, you know, or, or significant emotional distress. You know, I think one that's pretty obvious is when somebody rubs their forehead. You know, if you see somebody rubbing their forehead, you know that, that something's going on or something bad has happened. What may be less obvious is that when, and this is particularly true of males, when men touch their face, that's a way they try to calm themselves down. So they'll touch their cheek. And when they do that, you know, if you watch for that behavior, if you're talking about something and they're getting starting to get bothered, they're starting to starting to feel uncomfortable, they'll start touching their face because it helps calm them down. And that's a pacifying behavior. That that is something that you really have to look for. Behaviors of that somebody engages in trying to help themselves feel more pacified and feel calmed down. And something I want to do for a couple of minutes, actually, is to start to talk a little bit more about understanding how to look at the body as a whole and to be able to intuit some of this stuff. Because really, once you understand the system, once you understand why the body does what it does, it's much easier to put all these pieces together. So, uh, Dr. Richard, as a psychologist, I'm sure you have heard of the fight or flight system. I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? Of course. So fight or flight is basically when you feel threatened, you feel the need to either fight or run. Okay. And that is the typical way that people think about it. But the reality is there's actually another step in there that people miss. It's actually freeze, flight, or fight. The freeze part of it comes in because that's the first thing we do when we feel threatened. We freeze, we hide, we try to get smaller. And that's an un, an important way to understand when people are uh, physically trying to make themselves smaller. Instinctually, that's because they don't want to be noticed, whether that's because they're nervous, whether that's because they're lying, whether that's because they're about to do something bad. When people make their bodies smaller, when they shrink up, that's intentional. So I want you to think about this for a second. Let's use an example of a car backfiring. What is your initial reaction when you hear a car backfire? You're startled. Exactly. You're startled. And the first thing you do when you feel startled is you freeze. If you think about that, if you can really envision what it's like to hear a car backfire or hear something that catches you uh, by surprise, the first thing you do is you stop moving. Same thing happens when, interestingly, if you're at like a traffic light, for example, and there's a policeman sitting there at the traffic light. If you watch all of the people around, you'll notice that all of them are very stiff for the most part, that they'll grip their steering wheels and try not to move. Even if they aren't doing anything wrong, the idea is, you know, as long as I stay still and don't get noticed, then I won't get a ticket. And because I'm a people watcher, I notice things like this. 
but it's it's very interesting. Freezing is is always the first step, right before then the flight and fight if absolutely necessary. One of the things that we've not talked a lot about today are positive emotions. Mm-hmm. So from nonverbal standpoint, I think people would say smile. What are some other nonverbal behaviors, maybe some of the more subtle ones associated with positive emotions? As far as positive emotions go, being open, that is a sign of positivity. Having your hands open and your arms out is a sign of sincerity. The more that your body is open, the more that your face and chest are exposed, the more vulnerable you're leaving yourself. So those are oftentimes associated with positivity. So... For example, uh, people that use their hands a lot to talk. I use my hands a lot to talk. I tend to be very animated. I also tend to speak very quickly. People that are more animated and and that use large gestures are oftentimes seen as being more honest. And conversely, people who don't use their arms as much are seen as being less honest or thought to be liars. And what's interesting about that is I don't – As far as I know, the research doesn't necessarily indicate that people who do use their hands less are liars, but people see them that way. So it's important to understand that leaving your body open for people, leaving your hands open, seeming warm and open for people, uh, changes how they see you. You know, when, when you're closed off, when your body is closed off, people see you as trying to hide something. They see you as being negative. So It's definitely important to try to engage in positive uh, emotions or nonverbals that elicit positive emotions. Those are very fascinating examples about positive emotions. Talk about smiling. As I mentioned, I think most people think smiling is, is most often associated with positive emotions. Tell us about the nonverbal mechanics behind smiling. Well, there's one specific type of smile called the Duchenne smile that is thought to be the most honest, the most open, the most genuine smile. And what that looks like is both sides of the mouth are up, the eyes are squinted, the wrinkles on the outer part of the eye are are coming together, so your eyes look a little bit squinched. And that is what a real smile looks like. So when you say smile with your eyes, tell us a little more about that. Well, it's really that the eyes involuntarily uh, squint on the edges, is that the the muscles in your face that feel, when you feel joy, there's just a certain position they go in. So, you know, you're going to see the the outer corners of the eyes wrinkle up quite a lot when somebody's feeling genuine happiness. Now, what's interesting, and you can even try this while we're uh, doing this right now, if you smile and you're faking it and you're not feeling happy, You'll notice the corners of your mouth go up, but you'll notice your eyes don't really change. You don't have the squinting of the eyes, or at least you probably don't. You may still. Uh, but if you're not, and because right now you may be feeling happy as you're listening to this, but if uh, if you are just neutral right now, you're going to notice you don't have a genuine, a genuine smile right now. You don't have a genuine, uh, a full face, genuine Duchenne smile. And I'll tell you, a genuine smile is one of the hardest things to fake. And as humans, we're very good at detecting things that don't seem right. So when somebody smiles and it's polite or somebody smiles and it's totally fake, we're usually pretty good at noticing that. And we're noticing that 
something feels a little bit off about it or it feels a little bit wrong. I want to revisit something you you mentioned earlier. You said that you're, of course, because of what you do, you're a people watcher. So can you think of people in the media, celebrities who exhibit interesting or unusual nonverbal behavior? Donald Trump is a good example. He does something that we see called steepling. And that's where you take the tips of your fingers and you put them together basically to create a steeple with two hands. And when people engage in this, you know, they are seen as authoritative, confident, powerful. Uh, the, the flip side to that is that if you are not in a position of power and you do this, you're going to annoy people relentlessly. So, you know, uh, I would not recommend this be something people do to try to make themselves appear more powerful. It really only works for people that are already in positions of expertise, power, and things like that. Uh, for people that are not in positions like that, it can irritate other people. But... Uh, if you watch the World Series of Poker, that is the most fun thing for me to watch, frankly, because they, the behaviors you see on there, the, the tells are all over the place. If, if people that, that wanted to play poker really learned body language and really learned it well, it, it, you could really learn to, to read people. Because what I see a lot of these poker players doing is... They try to do what they think would make them look like they're stressed out or would think make them think that they're bluffing or whatever it is. And oftentimes they get a lot of it wrong. You know, if you just watch their eyes, there's something we call eye shielding, which is when people squint if they hear something they don't like or they're seeing something they don't like. You can see this all over the place. And with poker players, they do it all the time. So if they get a hand they don't like, you might see them squint. Now, it's stuff that, that, that's part of the reason that some of them wear sunglasses probably because they know the eyes say a lot. But the, the World Series of Poker and other professional poker players, I've, I've watched tons of that. And uh, it's always a lot of fun to see how good they are at deceiving each other. Interesting. And can you think of any other celebrities who do interesting behaviors? Uh, I would say uh, news anchors are interesting, especially over the course of the 2016 election cycle. I was watching the news pretty much constantly. So I was always seeing uh, the body language of different newscasters. And you could really tell which newscasters did and didn't like certain candidates because when they would talk about them, now some of them have more obvious biases to be completely, you know, transparent about it, but the body language would oftentimes speak to that. Like, you know, people touching their lips or doing things with their tongue behind their lips, the lips are something that even, you know, going back to before you're born, uh, your lips are an important part of calming yourself. So they do a lot of pacifying behaviors with their mouth and lips. They do a lot of squinting behaviors and a lot of blinking behaviors. And if you know the, the right way to look at that stuff, you can see when somebody's really getting uh, upset or, or is uncomfortable. I, I guess the last example I'll use, and I know these are all pretty broad examples. I'm not really talking about a lot of specific people, but... If you look at award shows, those are something that I think are hilarious because, you know, you have people that professionally are acting, for that professionally are performing in front of other people. But when they do it in the award shows, they're, they're 
nonverbals are just are all over the place. They're always so off. It's interesting. And I don't know if it's because of nerves, because I've I've never been to anything like that. It may be just incredibly nerve-wracking. But the the genuine emotions oftentimes just aren't there. I remember seeing Kate Winslow in an Oscar um a few years back, and there was just something about as an amazing actress as she is, there was something about her performance uh accepting the award that just didn't compute for me. There was, you know, I, I don't remember specifically what the body language was, but there was something about it that never quite congealed. And so I would say that's true of a lot of people at award shows. There's just, it's the night of the, of awkward body language. That's so wild. You, uh, so you're not so just to be clear to Kate Winslet, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Gerson's not actually saying you're a disingenuous person. That's true. I'm not saying that, but I. <laughs> <laughs> but but that is something that that you observed. That's that's quite interesting. So talk to us about. I know you mentioned that you know you've gotten such great feedback from the arc analysis system in these different areas that you're now looking to move this towards, you know, couples and, you know, non-business, non-business people, people that are in their homes, you know, spouses. Tell us about that. What are you doing with that? Well, recently I released a few YouTube videos uh, covering the ARC analysis system, uh, giving it a pretty in-depth explanation and giving some examples. Um, It's for entertainment purposes. Don't consider it treatment or anything like that, but it might be kind of fun for you to watch. They're free on YouTube. Uh, there's one that covers lying and deception. There's one that covers uh, uh, sort of a brief overview of the arc analysis for business. But either way, you know, you might get something fun out of watching them. Uh, but really what else I'm trying to do at the moment is I'm I'm adapting the arc analysis system not only for couples but also just for everyday use for, every, for, for people where, uh, you know, like I said, if you really look at – how this system works, it can be pretty easily adapted to different ways of life and for, for to be used in different areas. But the idea is being able to increase your empathy, being able to understand other people, being able to give off the vibe that you want people to get to, to get from you. You know, part of what I'm doing now is developing a remote training system for people. And I'm not just talking about the YouTube videos. I'm talking about doing it live uh, remotely. Um, I've got a couple of young kids, so I'm not really out doing a lot of uh, driving around the country, doing a lot of public speaking. So I'm trying to figure out what I can do uh, remotely right now uh, to be able to interact with people and to help people in this area. So for most people who would go through this training with you, how long does it take approximately? Well, it really varies depending on the program. The law enforcement program is really just a solid day. I mean, we're talking, it can range from a couple of hours to a full day, but that usually is done over the course of one or two days. Uh, as far as the the developing business intuition, that can range. It really depends on how much somebody wants to learn. Uh, you can learn in terms of face-to-face hours that I spend with people. Two or three hours can get people to learn quite a lot. Now, that's not two or three hours on their end. They spend a ton more time outside of what I'd work on with them. But I can help them better understand the progress they're making, uh, understand the system. You know, really realistically, six to eight hours of, of work with somebody can help them become a, a real 
uh, uh, can become really masterful in understanding body language. So, you know, that that is a lot of time to be spent on it. And obviously, they have to spend dozens of hours, if not more, outside of uh, working with me to be able to really get proficient. But it's it's not a system that is going to take, you know, six months, a year or anything like that. It's some fairly basic concepts, really. And once you learn how to apply them, and once you condition yourself to to recognize them and to for it to become a new part of your intuition it's pretty easy really so it's actually something that a person could learn quite rapidly and start implementing almost immediately yeah it really doesn't take that long to get started uh, once you learn a few behaviors and you just even even if it's just a handful of them and you take a week or two and you start noticing it whenever you're around people and you start paying attention to it, you realize you're, you're very capable of learning stuff very rapidly. And so as far as like memorization learning goes, there's not a whole lot of that. It's a lot of practice once you get these ideas down. Um, so, you know, I, I have handouts and things like that that I give people so that they can have a quick reference because I'm not somebody who's big on uh, memorizing things. I'm big on experiential learning. I'm big on doing things. So really, this is something that you learn a little bit, and then you practice. You learn some more, you practice, you get some feedback. And from from my experience, it's been very, very effective, especially with business leaders. They love it. Very, very cool. And just to let everybody know, we will link in the show notes and in the Daily Helping app, the YouTube videos that Dr. Garrison is speaking of. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time together. And and Dr. Garrison, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. One of the things that I like to do at the end of every episode is to ask the biggest helping that you could give the audience. And that is, what is the single most important piece of information that you would want people to walk away with after listening to this episode? If there's one thing, one takeaway that I think I would like for people to hear, it's that we're always communicating even if that communication is, uh, I don't want to communicate with you, you're always communicating something with your body and with your nonverbal behavior. And uh, and I don't want to sound cheesy, but as, as divided as people have been and as hard as it's been for people, at least in the United States, uh, there can't be any harm in trying to give off positive body language. If, if there's something that you've learned today that, you, that can help you seem more positive, I would encourage you to try to be more positive. Try to be more empathic. Try to show people body language that makes them feel good. Try not to use things that makes you seem dominant or makes you seem defensive. Try to be open and maybe help other people open up too. Fantastic. So where can people find you? The best place to find me is my website, www.drjpgarrison.com. And that's the letters drjpgarrison.com. If you need to contact me for any reason, my contact information is on my website, as are updates on pretty much everything that I am currently working on. Uh, You can also find me on YouTube like uh, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, my my YouTube uh, channel is called What the Psych, or if you just type in my name, Dr. John Paul Garrison, my videos will come up. And again, all of Dr. Garrison's information will be on the show notes for this episode, as well as on the Daily Helping app. So everybody will be able to get all of that information. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. If you like what you heard, go out and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. That's what helps other people find this podcast. Most importantly, go out there and do something nice for somebody else. Even if you've never met him, even if you don't know him, post it in your feeds using hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. <laughs>